If you would, please turn to Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Listen carefully to the holy, infallible word of God. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him. And he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now just to remind you, Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's come together in prayer. The words of our Christ are clearly before us. And we think of his own words, seek and you shall find. We are so thankful that the Lord Jesus Christ first seeks us. And we are thankful as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that we can proclaim by faith that we are not lost anymore. Help us to enter into his presence, his word, with this truth on our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. Blessed saints of the church of Jesus Christ, We are now ready to look at the second dramatic narrative from Mark chapter 2, verse 1, through chapter 3, verse 6. As you may remember in this section, Mark presents five narratives. Five narratives that share a common element, the common element of controversy. The events depicted in these five narratives are not necessarily sequential. They are arranged from Christ's ministry to clearly point out 
the opposition that he faced. When we keep in mind, we must keep in mind that as Christ's church and a believer in Christ, we need to understand how strong the opposition is to Christ and to the gospel. If you love Jesus, do you realize the cost of being a follower of Christ in a world that is hostile to Jesus Christ? Are you really ready to be a follower of Jesus? If you say you are, then Mark wants you to understand very early in his gospel, gospel what the cost will be as a follower of Jesus Christ. Is your heart, is your life ready for the second hostile narrative in chapter 2, verses 13 through 17? As we remarked in our message on the paralytic, Mark's five narratives in chapter 2 have structural connections that go back into the first chapter. In Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20, Christ is passing by the sea, specifically the Sea of Galilee. And then he proceeds to call his disciples In Mark chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, Jesus is beside the sea. And then, as he is passing by, he sees Levi and calls him to follow him into the domain of being a disciple. Now, there are a few things we want to note quickly about verses 13 and 14 in the text before getting into the meat of the drama of this section. As you look at verse 13, you will note that in the first phrase, we have Jesus withdrawing from the amazement of his spiritual and physical healing of the paralytic. It resembles his departures into the wilderness that we have noted in chapter 1. But this time it is to the sea. The sea itself will take on the characteristic of hostility in Mark's narrative, interestingly, in Mark chapter 4 and in Mark chapter 6. But that's still to behold for us to, to get to. The movement is swift in verse 13. Jesus is alone by the sea, and then the crowd comes to him, followed by his teaching of the good news of repentance and faith, which is the condition of entering into the kingdom of God. Jesus then proceeds to walk past Levi. In Matthew's gospel, it's Matthew, the same person. And he sees him sitting in his tax booth. Jesus says to him, follow me, follow me. 
And like the four disciples called previously, he immediately immediately rose up and followed Jesus. I assume that most of you over the years know about the reputation of a tax collector among the Jews. Even so, it is important to review this so that you can grasp the powerful impact of Mark's narrative that is before us this morning. First, we remain at Capernaum by the sea. Second, Levi is employed as a tax official in the service of the Roman governor, Herod Antipas. His employment may be different than what you think. He is not collecting taxes like the IRS or like the state or like a city tax in terms of what we may think of today. Levi is employed as a tax collector. He referred to in terms of this time in history a tax farmer for people traveling from one province of Roman occupation into another province. In our day, he is like a customs agent. The money charged for passing through customs was known as oppressive, in which the tax collector could secure large profits at the expense of the traveler. There is no set sum for the tax, but the money charged was whatever the tax collector could get and make in terms of a profit. As an official of the Roman governor, like all tax farmers, Levi would be detested and would be viewed as the vilest, foulest, (laughs) evilest of human beings. Now grasp this. When a Jew became a tax collector, he was regarded as an outcast from their society. He could not be a judge or a witness in the Jewish courts. Even this, he was, if he was a tax collector, he was excommunicated from the synagogue. I wonder if your head is spinning and going forward right now. Matthew is a tax collector. He writes Matthew's gospel. He's the only one that records the idea of Matthew 18 in terms of the process of discipline in the church. How do you treat someone who is excommunicated in the church? How does Jesus put it? Jesus says this. Do you remember? 1817 of Matthew? You treat them like a tax collector. (laughs) See the parallel there. (laughs) It's one thing to be excommunicated from the synagogue. It's 
a whole different thing in Matthew's eyes to be excommunicated from the church of Jesus Christ. Also, he is disgraced in the community along with his family. It was a profession which you basically surrender everything for the sake of personal, individual wealth. When you grasp Levi's occupation and reputation, then Jesus' call and Levi's response is an absolutely amazing testimony of the power of grace that is found in Jesus Christ. Also, the technical use of the verb used to summon Levi and his response conveys that Levi's conversion is immediately, is immediate, and that it is a restless, radical <laughs> abandonment of a former lifestyle. It is a true, what's the word for repentance? A true turning away from his former way of life. You are seeing in the picture of Levi a picture of true repentance. True repentance. Follow me. And he followed him. Levi is so excited. <laughs> He's so excited about his repentance. He has repentance in Jesus that he decides to give a banquet <laughs> in his house for Jesus and his disciples. And who does he invite to recline on couches with Jesus at this banquet? <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> Other low-life tax collectors and a group of men who are merely labeled in the text as sinners. Most likely these sinners are unimportant common people who refuse to be regulated by the standards of the Pharisees. In chapter 1, Jesus entered the disciples' house of Simon and Andrew and healed Simon's mother-in-law of a very serious fever. You remember that. This time, this time, he enters the house of a new disciple and he is dining and surrounded by sinners. The drama is now set as Mark heightens the focus of his text upon the hostility between Jesus and the scribes of the Pharisees. The eyes of the church must now focus on Jesus here. I'm asking you, as you look at this text, are you focused? What is the problem? What is the problem for these scribes of the Pharisees with Jesus? Mark makes sure we know that we are dealing 
with this situation. Mark describes these people with the language that describes themselves would use to characterize these people at this banquet feast. Tax collectors and sinners. The phrase tax collectors and sinners is not politically correct language at this time. This phrase characterizes the despised classes among the Pharisees as well as much of the Jewish community. By the time of Jesus' appearance on earth, the moral law at Sinai had evolved far enough under the authority of the scribes that the interpretation of the law took on a serious distinction between two groups of people. The piety of the scribes who viewed themselves as being righteous over against those whom the scribes called sinners. There's the two groups of people clearly defined at this time. The righteous and sinners. The righteous and sinners. Well, how does Jesus fit into that distinction? Where does Jesus fit in this distinction? In the views of the scribe's own application of the law, Jesus at Levi's house is acting against their laws. For example, if he is a teacher of the law, he should know that he is not supposed to recline at a table with anyone who is ignorant of the law. Tax collectors and sinners are not viewed by the scribes as well-versed in the law. Furthermore, as a teacher of the law, he is not to be a guest in the house of the ignorant. Did you notice also in that narrative in, Mark, in Luke? <laughs> he becomes a guest in Zacchaeus' house. He's not allowed to do that according to the scribes. That's off limits. <laughs> so according to the scribes, Jesus' offense is the company he is keeping. And he eats with them in a house that is understood as being impure. As the scribes examine Jesus with their homemade laws of piety, Mark in verses 13, 15 through 17 wants us to see how Jesus' preaching and teaching of the good news is beginning to take hold encountering the opposition. In these verses, verses 13 through 17, Jesus now takes center stage, not Levi, 
Focus upon your Savior, Jesus. The focus now is upon Jesus not following the elite authority of the scribes of the Pharisees, their interpretation and application of their so-called pious laws of conduct. These scribes had a defective view of God's revelatory religion, exchanging the true religion of the dominance of grace in the Old Testament law into a religion of human legalism, which merits redemption through the keeping of laws. As Herman Ritterboss states, it was a religion of self-redemption starting from a shallow view of the nature of sin and a perfectionist conception of man. You may think, and you may be asking right now, it's sort of odd to quote Ritterboss in this message. <laughs> Maybe odd. I can't tell you how profound that was in my study this week how it hit me, then maybe I can convey that to you as a congregation so that you see this. Very important in the context of unbelief. You see what Ritterboss is saying there. If you think, as a non-believer, you can reach perfection, you will have a shallow view of sin. Think about that. That is so true. That is so true in terms of the unbeliever. They're hardly sinners. They're not that bad. And they have, you see, and they have therefore, since sin isn't that serious, they can reach the perfection that they want in their own life. You see, if you're an unbeliever, if you're an unbeliever, you will have a very shallow view of sin. As a matter of fact, the father of lies, Satan, will convince you that lying all through your life, even to yourself, is true. Very profound. Very profound. Jesus turns this view of religion upside down. It is not the true religion of the Old Testament that he came to fulfill. Look at the religion he fulfills. Jesus is reclined at the table of tax collectors. Sinners, his disciples, there are five by now. And many who are following him. Verse 15. Indeed, grace triumphs. Grace crushes meritorious law keeping. The forecast of the results of the sower's work 
being preached and taught upon good soil is right before your eyes. You'll get the parable of the sower in chapter 4. Those reclined about the table are the abundant fruit of Jesus proclaiming the gospel of God. Yes, these tax collectors, outcasts, along with his disciples and many other followers, are all being pictured as those who are with Jesus by virtue of repentance and faith. Now, it is at this point that the scribes actually enter the text. It's not until this point that the scribes enter the text, not asking a question directly to Jesus, but asking their question to the disciples. Verse 16. Please notice that in two verses, 15 and 16, the basic phrase tax collector and sinners is repeated how many times? Three times. Mark does this to stress Jesus' rejection of the scribes' authority of their legalistic laws. In contrast, Mark pictures Jesus as the host of this banquet meal, electing to eat with tax collectors and sinners. Herein is what is Herein, it just so happens that Jesus hears the scribe's question to the disciples. Why is Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners, defying, defying Pharisaic scribal law? Well, (laughs) the tension mounts in the narrative. It's reaching its peak. You do not want to miss Jesus' answer. He uses a proverb in the third person and in the first person that goes all the way back, has its roots all the way back to 400 B.C., He uses the proverb to state the purpose of his mission with a focus on the priority of those in need of redemption. The first phrase, he uses a metaphor using the language of physical illness. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. The second phrase speaks directly to the issue of sin. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. There is much here to process in our hearts. Do you view yourself like the scribe of the Pharisees? Or in some way comparable with them? 
Is there any way you are thinking right now as you're listening to this, as you're engaged in the text here before you, the drama? Is there any way you're saying to yourself, I have no need for a physician? I am not religiously sick. I am righteous enough in my own eyes. I do not have to pay any attention to this stuff about being a sinner. When I look at the law, I measure up pretty well. Especially when I look out upon the world and how the world is functioning. And also when I look around and observe and measure the lives of other Christians. I am fairly pious and religious and righteous. Oh congregation, push yourself into participating in our text this morning in conjunction with the flow of Mark's gospel. Although I read a verse found in Luke's Gospel 19.10, that verse is powerfully alive in our text before you. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Our text this morning is an extension of the Son of Man revelation of Jesus. We met in our text last week in chapter 2, verse 10. In the context of the hostility of the scribes last week, Jesus demonstrates his authority as the Son of Man to forgive sin on earth and to heal the paralytic. However... You may be thinking, he forgave the sin of a paralytic. That paralytic is just laying on his bed. How much opportunity does he get in trouble in terms of Does he have an opportunity to get in trouble when he's just on a bed in terms of sin? Maybe that's what you're thinking. Well, if that is... Something you would be thinking. What about a person who is viewed by almost everyone as a low life, as a cheat, as a swindler, as a tax collector? He told the paralytic, Rise, pick up his bed, and go home. He tells Levi, an outcast, to follow me and be one of his elect disciples. Now watch this. Watch this in Mark's narrative. It's absolutely beautiful. The first four disciples, they are called to be what? Fishers of men. Fishers of men. What happens with the fifth disciple? (laughs) You have Jesus calling 
one of the most despicable characters in the whole community. You want to see the fishers of men, what the gospel's going to do through the disciples and through the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? You want to see it acted out? Mark is putting it right before your eyes. The fishers of men now become the one who brings the message of the gospel to those who are literally outcasts and brings them into the fold of Christ's church. This stuff is done by design people in terms of the text. The Holy Spirit who will bring people to Christ is the writer behind Mark. He's making sure you get the point of what the mission of the church is about. Jesus will be the one who initiates the gospel for the sake of the church to bring those who are outcasts into the fold of Christ. Levi knows he is sick and needs a spiritual physician. Levi knows he is a sinner and needs the righteousness of Jesus. Levi has already rejected the totalitarian authority of the scribes and Pharisees in their law. And I'm using that word on purpose this morning to drive home the beauty of repentance. What breaks his soul now by the command of the efficacious word of Jesus to follow me, that's the word of Christ, is a totalitarian power and authority of Jesus to bring total Yes, total repentance. Yes, repentance can be understood as a totalitarian power of crushing all sin in a sinner's life in order to turn by the free grace of faith one's life to embrace Jesus with all one's heart, soul, and mind. Now the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Please note the following. Verse 14. Levi is sitting at the tax booth. Verse 15. Jesus is reclined at table in Levi's house. Levi is obviously now present. Tax collectors, sinners, disciples, and other followers are reclining with him. We are moving from a posture of sitting to reclining, which is very important. Go back to verse 14 again. 
Jesus' command, follow me. Then he rose. Once again, (laughs) what's interesting here is this the same word used for Christ's resurrection when Levi rose. That's not true in every case in Mark's gospel. I researched it this week. (laughs) It's marvelous. The posture of reclining instead of sitting is a picture of a banquet feast pointing us, you know where I'm going, right? Pointing us to the final wedding feast of the Lamb of God. The text before you this morning is a foretaste of the final wedding feast of Christ in heaven. Where our host, your host, the groom, will feast with his beautiful bride, you yourselves, whose righteous garments will be as white as snow. All sinners who are sick in need of a righteous physician, called by Jesus, redeemed by his blood, secured by the Holy Spirit in repentance and faith, will be present. Is that you? Is that you? But the final judgment is coming with the Son of Man. With the Son of Man is definitely forecasted as well here in the text in verse 17. The Son of Man descending with clouds of heaven is coming in upon all those who refuse that they need a physician because of the sickness of their sin. After all, they view themselves as being too righteous. They view themselves as being too righteous for Jesus. And notice that the text pictures them as silent after Jesus' proverb. The text gives you nothing about a response from them. They are guilty. Silence will be the response when the Son of Man comes in the final execution of his judgment and redemption. Rejoice, congregation. Rejoice for those, those who know they are a sinner and need a Redeemer. A physician of righteousness. Isn't that you? Isn't that your voice? Isn't that your heart? Rejoice in terms of the Holy Spirit placing that in your heart. In your heart. What a banquet for you with Jesus as our host. 
reservations, reservations for that banquet are only those, are only for those repentant sinners who have followed Jesus into his heavenly kingdom by faith. As Christ says to Levi, Rise up. Rise up. Christ will see that his people are resurrected and sit at that glorious banquet feast. How is that this morning? For good news. Good news. To your very heart. To your life. Each day. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God. We are so thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ. And for his coming. What beautiful words. Follow me. Give us hearts that want nothing less. For the scope of our redemption is so marvelous. From suffering to glory. From humiliation to exaltation. We have it. And we have that final glory always, forever and ever, in our Savior, Christ Jesus. In his name, exalted name, we pray, amen.